Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Today we have a nuclear revenge story of a grudge held for 20 years. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, the betrayal from my husband. I knew the world was cruel, but I didn't expect that the person the priest said had become one flesh with me would break my heart into tiny pieces that would never be able to fit back perfectly the way it once was. It's hard to accept that I saw all the signs before I jumped into a relationship with Julius, Jewel for short, but I still chose to settle for less. This wasn't the first time I'd been complacent in a relationship and set the bar low, thinking time would make everything better. I did it before, but I didn't learn from that mistake and I did it again. When I was finally ready to snap out of the mess I'd plunged myself into, it was almost too late. I was a single mother of two before I met Jewel. Life wasn't particularly rosy, but it wasn't too sour either. Coming from a broken home, I understood the importance of growing up with both parents, and I had a deep desire to get a father figure for my children. I didn't want them to grow the way I had. I saw firsthand what that gap did to my brother and me when my father left. My brother was almost lost. He became an angry kid, irrational, violent, doing drugs, and mostly kept to himself. He didn't want to be around anyone, not his friends, even after his therapy, and when he started healing, he could never go back to being that sweet boy I once knew. I wasn't any better. I didn't do drugs or take a rebellious streak, but the reality of losing a parent was an evident flaw in my character. It became even more evident in my teenage years when I'd let all of his friends walk all over me just so that they wouldn't leave me, or how I felt like it was okay to be treated like trash by all my toxic boyfriends. I somehow always chose the wrong boys when I started choosing boys, because I didn't want to end things or how I constantly lived in the shadow of others. It was horrible. I didn't want that for my children, and it was killing me. I was at my wit's end. I sought every opportunity to feel that I wasn't enough. I blamed myself for making things serious with Mark. It was an avoidable prospect, but I let it happen, and it ended in tears. Every morning when I woke up and realized the gravity of that misstep, the lulling feeling of regret over my predicament washed over me. It wasn't a surprise I'd fallen for Mark. I was 20, and I didn't know some decisions were strong enough to change the trajectory of one's life. Mark was sweet but he maintained a particular deal-breaker that I managed to ignore. He was handy with his fists. I tried to give several excuses every time he hit me. That was the only outlet for his anger. He would never purposely hit me in a way that would hurt me. He loved me, but he was blinded by rage. No matter how ridiculous the excuses sound now, I forced myself to believe them. To me, as long as he kept coming back, that was enough. On the eve of my 23rd birthday, he asked me to be his wife. I got a bit of cold feet, but I didn't object. In short, I had always looked forward to being his wife. It didn't matter if he offered the bare minimum as long as he offered something. In retrospect, I'd always felt lonely no matter how many friends I'd made or parties I went to. I thought marriage would change that, so I jumped at my first offer of marriage. Then we began to make babies. 
We welcomed our first child, Lillian, after a year of our marriage, and by then I could conveniently explain what a living heck looked like. At first, he hit me occasionally, but with time, it became more frequent. I'd wear tons of concealer to hide my bruised eye, and frozen vegetables were always at hand to quell any swelling I foresaw. I soon realized that I was stuck with a narcissist and a cheat. To him, I was the problem. And I didn't even know I believed that too, until I realized that I comfortably took the blame for everything he did wrong. I'd find a way to turn it around on myself. He got mud over all my newly cleaned carpet? Nope, that wasn't his fault. I should have waited at the door for his arrival from his camping trip and offered to clean his shoes. He didn't eat the soup I spent all day making for dinner? Silly me, I shouldn't have made soup because I was craving it. I should have made plain old mac and cheese just like the previous night because he wanted it even though I was pregnant. He was upset I'd spent money on a baby carrier. My bad. I should have put that luxury out of my mind because tennis shoes were way more important than our baby. The sad thing was that I made myself believe all these. I didn't want him to leave and I did everything I could to keep it all together. I knew I would no longer endure the torment when he conveniently didn't bother coming to the hospital to see me or the baby after I'd birthed our second child, Damien. That was the last straw, and I had truly had it to my neck. I left without saying a word, not that my voice mattered, and I got no words from Mark either. He didn't care. There was nothing I could do anymore. I didn't want my baby girl to think it was alright for her husband to mistreat her, or her little brother, my baby boy, to think it was okay to hit girls or anyone for that matter. I raised our two children alone with little or no child support from their father. I didn't bother much with the child support because I was self-sufficient, but then money couldn't replace love, so I went in search of what money couldn't buy, love. Jewel was different. He made me feel seen and heard even on my worst days. He was beautiful. He had to be the best looking man I'd ever seen. He had wavy curls that bounced right over his brows. His skin was well tanned and he had the most gorgeous smile I'd ever seen. Honey dripped off of his sugar-coated lips and I fell for every word he said. Whenever he was around, electricity rushed all around my insides. And I felt like I was drawn away from reality whenever I stared into his sparkling green eyes. Five years after I'd left Mark, I could tell that he wasn't half the man Jewel was. He was a single father as well, he'd had a little girl. But that didn't stop him from treating my kids as his. The truth was, I was looking for chemistry between whomever I chose and my babies as much as I was looking for romantic chemistry between us. I wasn't trying to introduce a problem into their lives, so no matter how deeply connected I felt to someone, I wouldn't act on it unless it favored them. I wanted to find someone who would love and cherish them as much as they deserved, and Jewel seemed to do this perfectly. And I couldn't help falling in love with his daughter who looked just like him, except with stormy gray eyes and had the most outgoing heart I'd ever seen in a teenager. We had the beautiful fusion of a blended family, and I couldn't wish for more. At least, not at first. He gave me everything I needed except for his loyalty. But I never doubted his loyalty at first. The only issue I'd had was with his addiction to liquor, which was very hidden at first. But as I got closer to him, I realized how much he was struggling with it, but he never let it get between us. He fought to stay sober to please me, and I appreciated that more than anything. He turned to liquor when his previous wife died of cancer, 
and it was a very trying period for him and his daughter, Alexa. It did help a lot in maturing her into the caring and unwavering woman she was becoming. The thought that, for once, I was the one filling a gap for someone and giving them the strength they needed to fight for themselves was thrilling, and that made me put my all into the relationship. It didn't hurt that he was a hopeless romantic, though. For instance, I loved the way he planned surprise trips to the best tourist locations in the world without giving me any inkling. He served me breakfast in bed, especially when he got on my last nerve. He was quick to apologize whenever he wronged me. He was quick to defend his new almost family whenever and wherever, and he made me feel like the only person that mattered for miles. After all the heck I'd been through, this was finally heaven. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So when he popped the question at the beach and had our kids read out the beautiful poem he'd written me, I didn't second guess my answer. I said yes, yes, yes a million times. I wanted to marry him. I loved him. More than I'd ever loved anyone in my entire life, and no doubt he loved me too. But I guess love wasn't enough for us. Three years into our marriage, things started to change. He was suddenly constantly occupied with one thing or the other. He was too tired to listen to my stories about the kids and my colleagues at work. He was acting weird. His usually open demeanor was closed, like he was trying to conceal something. He was suddenly guarded, and I didn't like it. At first, I felt like I'd done something to upset him, so I tried my best to make things right. I cooked his best meals, planned date nights, and got him gifts. Some were quirky, some actual stuff I knew he wanted, but that didn't seem to work. So I outrightly spoke to him about it. I asked him if I'd done anything wrong, and told him how I felt like he was mad at me. He genuinely looked pained that I felt like that, and he assured me that nothing was going on and that he just had some issues from work that he was tangled in but couldn't seem to work out. He promised me that there was nothing wrong between us and he'd try his absolute best to make me see that. Well, he didn't quite totally lie, there was an issue at work that he needed to sort out. After my confrontation, he did try to seem more present and open with me but I couldn't help feeling it was all an act and something fishy was going on. I tried to seem happy and carefree, but it was apparent that I was struggling with my body's automated response to his actions. Alexa noticed this and cornered me one morning while I was making breakfast. What's up with you, Kate? She asked, addressing me by my first name. Isn't it too early to be nosy, Alexa? I retorted. I just wanted to help out with the breakfast today, she cooed, taking the bowl of eggs out of my hands and starting to beat them. That was a lie. She was never up this early, and even when she was, she was never useful or looking for work. 
She was that kind that could walk into a wall if she was up before seven on an on-school day. What do you really want, my love? I insisted. She said, well, I wanted to know if there was something wrong that my dad did to you. I've seen how you act whenever he's around. I let out a breath I didn't know I'd been holding. You can talk to me, she encouraged. You're as much my mom as he is my dad, and I'm more mature than I let on. I laughed at that and began to tell a 17-year-old a watered-down version of how I felt that Jewel didn't love me quite as much as he used to, and I was trying to cope with that fact, but it was tearing me to bits, and I could tell he wasn't trying to do anything on purpose, but it just so happened that I could see the traces of it in everything that he did. I don't know, she said. It just happens that people are dealing with things they can't share and that leads to differences in their characters from what we used to know. But that doesn't mean they love us any less. Okay, Miss Smarty Pants, get out of my kitchen before you eat all of the cookie batter. And all that we said is just between us, okay? I said airily, trying not to sound as serious as I felt on the inside. Aye aye, Captain, she concurred right before she took one more swipe of my pancake butter. I attacked her with tummy tickles because that was where she was most vulnerable, but right on time, Lillian rescued the breakfast pancakes by coming to request that Alexa bathe her. I mulled over her words for the rest of the day. If Jewel was going through something so deep, why didn't he let me know exactly what it was? Was it that serious? Didn't he think he could trust me? Was he trying not to worry me? What on earth was going on? The mystery was killing me, and I tried again to answer questions I had no way of knowing the right answers to. But my answer came flying at me not long after. It started with the strong smell of alcohol filling the room one night. I'd been waiting up for Jewel and I immediately caught a whiff of the liquor. I knew that Jewel had had a relapse and was grateful that I'd already sent the kids upstairs to bed. He'd been mostly sober over the years. Once in a while, he had a relapse here and there, but together we were getting over it. He staggered into the room, and for some reason I was too angry to help him into the room. Normally I would've, but that night I was unfathomably upset, and rightly so. He fell onto the living room floor, and I went outside to see if I would find whoever had dropped him off. I saw a pretty little lady with Latina makeup and a short red dress getting into her car, I hurried over to thank her before she sped off. She looked like she was in a hurry. I tapped on her window and she rolled it down for me. Thank you so much for bringing my husband home to me, I said with a smile. She said, it's no problem, I work with him, and I just wanted to make sure he got home safe. That's nice of you, I insisted. I'm Kate, I announced, extending my hand to her. Rachel, she replied. I do have to get going, I have an event later tonight that I wouldn't want to be late for. We said our goodbyes, and she took off. Questions started to form in my head. Why was he out with a colleague this late? He obviously couldn't have drunk this much at work. This could have been a group outing, but she was the only one nice enough to help him home? Or maybe she stumbled upon him wherever he was and saw he was drunk. I didn't think about it too much till I got to the house. He'd managed to transport himself onto a couch, and when I walked in through the door, he stumbled towards me as if to hug me. Kate, my only love, I love you, you mean the world to me, he slurred. I could barely make out the words. That's okay, I said, trying to get him back on the couch. But he fell onto the floor, balled his fists, and started crying. I'm sorry, he said. I didn't mean to, but she got pregnant. Don't leave me. Then he started reaching out to hold me, but I backed away faster, my heartbeat increasing with every step. Everything started to finally piece together in my head. He had gotten someone pregnant, but who? How could he be that cruel? 
I had never once expected to learn that he was cheating on me up till the moment he finally spilled those words. I was numb. I helped him up from the floor, cleaned him, fed him, and put him into bed. As I was putting the covers over him, he suddenly lifted his head to kiss me, and the disgust and outrage that filled me was inexplicable. I couldn't bear to get in bed with him, so I got out an air mattress, but I could barely even sleep in that so I folded it up and sat in a chair watching him sleep. Thoughts formed in my head that I could barely grasp onto. I think I may have cried once or twice, but by the time he woke up, I was bathed, dressed, and sipping a hot cup of coffee. I tossed his phone at him. Rachel called, I said. His reaction was so guilty and frightened, I'd lied. She hadn't called. I calmly recounted the events of the previous day to him, and once again, he started to weep and plead with me that it was all a mistake. It had happened when he'd had too much to drink during their work trip a few months before. He regretted it, and he wanted me, not her. But he was worried about the baby. He wanted to keep it, but he didn't know how to tell me. Rachel had, however, ended the pregnancy, and that was what led to his relapse the previous day. He kept on ranting about how he loved me and that she meant nothing to him, but I was no longer listening. I'd heard all I'd wanted to, and when he tried to draw me back when I was leaving the room, I exploded. I screamed insanities at him and told him I wanted nothing to do with him. I'd been through enough already, and I wouldn't stay with someone who'd cheated on me because I knew he'd do it again. In the middle of the chaos, Alexa walked in very quietly. Dad, she said, how could you? He started to stutter excuses, but she cut him off. You aren't a child, Dad, and you have to stop blaming your mistakes on everything around you. You can't keep hurting everyone around you expecting us to stay. Her voice started to shake as she continued. I've dealt with a lot of your crap and I'm only still a child. You can't keep hurting us all. And she ran out of the room. A few weeks later, I moved back into my old house and Alexa begged to go with me. Soon, I found a way to teach him to grow up. He may not have meant to hurt me, but his actions did hurt me. So, while filing for a divorce, I requested that I be legally responsible for Alexa. And I brought forth his alcoholic records to prove that he wouldn't make a good father. Thankfully, I won the case. That day as we were leaving the courtroom, he handed me a piece of paper. It read, You've broken me. You've taken my whole family from me. But I didn't care a little bit. He got what he deserved. I mean, although they're 17 years old, I think that's frankly for the best for this kid, let alone the fact that they wanted to go with OP. It's devastating that OP had to go through such tumultuous relationships multiple times over, all while just trying to be a good person and look out for the kids. That said, our next story is, I held a grudge for 20 years till I got the sweetest revenge through my daughter. Vengeance has always held a special place in my heart, a tantalizing pursuit that I embrace without reservations, regardless of the passage of time. A memory from my 12th year resurfaces, a vivid recollection of the moment my father entangled me in a prank against my unsuspecting mother. The plan was simple enough, plant toy explosives within the dough she was meticulously kneading while she momentarily stepped away to answer a phone call. The orchestration of this prank bore the fingerprints of my father's scheming mind while I became the unwitting executor of his mischievous design. He assured me that if all transpired as intended, he would shoulder the consequences. Alas, fate laughed in our faces. Unbeknownst to me, my father had no intentions of assuming responsibility. Instead, he vanished into thin air, offering up a flimsy pretext to retreat to his quarters as the explosive contraption sprang to life. 
I stood alone, an unwitting accomplice left to bear the brunt of the situation. My mother returned to her interrupted chore, her demeanor marred by disheartening news she had received over the telephone. The embers of my failed prank smoldered as the acrid scent of burnt dough permeated the air, a fitting parallel to the smoldering disappointment that had taken root within me. The tears that had welled in my mother's eyes found their target in my soul, a stark reminder of my role in this unfortunate charade. It was on that fateful day that the ember of retribution ignited within me, an ember that would smolder, fuel. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. By a mixture of resentment and determination, with the passage of five years, I finally executed my revenge. Casting aside the dark cloud of secrecy that shrouded my retaliation, the intricate details of my response will find their way to the surface another time, further not relevant to this tale. What remains is a testament to the depth of my pettiness, a tangible reminder that I possess the capacity to cradle a grudge for years, allowing it to ferment like a fine wine until its maturity could no longer be denied. Finally, after 20 years, I got the much-needed revenge on the one arch-enemy I have in my family. Franny. Ah, oh, Franny. That name alone brings a mix of emotions. A cocktail of love and hatred that only a sibling relationship could concoct. This is our little love-hate story. A tale of sibling rivalry that has spanned decades. And how I used my own daughter as a pawn in the ultimate game of one-upsmanship. Franny, with her infuriatingly perfect life, had always managed to be one step ahead. She excelled in school effortlessly, was the apple of everyone's eye, and had a way of twisting situations to make herself look like a saint. But beneath that sugary exterior lay a sibling rivalry as old as time itself. I wasn't going to let her get away with it anymore. My revenge plan had to be intricate, subtle, and utterly satisfying. It had to be something that would make her realize that even after all these years, I still held the upper hand, and that's where my daughter came in, a pawn in my grand scheme, an unwitting accomplice in my quest for justice, or rather, a twisted sense of satisfaction. As the details of my plan began to take shape, I couldn't help but marvel at the sheer brilliance of it all. It was like crafting a masterpiece, with every stroke of revenge meticulously planned out. Franny had no idea what was coming, and that made the anticipation all the sweeter. In the end, it wasn't just about the revenge itself, but about the journey, the years of pent-up frustration, the countless sleepless nights thinking of a way to upend her, and the satisfaction of seeing it all unfold like a perfectly orchestrated symphony of comeuppance. So here I am, ready to recount the tale of my meticulously planned and flawlessly executed revenge on the one person who had managed to stay under my skin for far too long. Sit back, relax, and prepare to be amazed as I take you through the twists and turns of this unforgettable journey, where the lines between love and hate, family and rivalry, are blurred in a dance of retribution. We had a family gathering over Easter, 
a time of coming together filled with pastel colors, the smell of freshly baked goods, and the promise of joyful reunions. Among the attendees were my Auntie Lottie and her daughter Franny, along with Franny's own family. Auntie Lottie wasn't a blood relative, but was connected through marriage to my Uncle Ben, a bond formed during their shared journey to Australia on the same ship as my dad. Their friendship had weathered time and distance, making them inseparable. Yet, within this veneer of familial warmth, there existed a lingering resentment, a rift shaped by years of unspoken grievances. My disdain for Franny had festered for as long as I could remember, a sentiment I would have gladly relinquished if not for my genuine affection for Aunt Lottie and Uncle Ben. My role as Uncle Ben's medical decision maker, a responsibility thrust upon me due to his fragile health, tied me to the very person I wished to avoid. The foundation of my animosity was as deep and intricate as a labyrinth, its twists and turns too numerous to recount in their entirety. However, a few highlights were sufficient to illustrate the depth of our discord. Franny had an uncanny knack for inflicting emotional wounds, which she masked with a veneer of innocence, leaving me to grapple with the aftermath of her cutting remarks and malicious actions. I didn't mean to, or... I was only trying to help, were her go-to phrases, deftly deflecting blame while leaving a trail of hurt in her wake. One memory stood out among the rest, a wound that had yet to heal even after two decades. During the painful time of my mother's funeral, Franny had attempted to bar my fostered sisters from attending, labeling them as lesser due to their non-biological connection to the family. The irony of her exclusionary stance in the face of her own tenuous familial ties was not lost on anyone. However, what gnawed at my patience more than anything was her relentless pursuit of perfection. Particularly in the realm of child rearing, she was an Olympic contender in the competitive sport of raising her children, going to great lengths to showcase their achievements and surpass my own parenting journey. The resentment simmered beneath the surface driving me to seek a form of retaliation that would serve as both catharsis and closure. As Easter arrived, so did Auntie Lottie and Franny. With their well-intentioned gestures and facades of unity, Franny's goodwill was apparent in the frilly green dress and matching bloomers she presented for my six-month-old daughter, Bernadette. However, my partner Martin and I were aware of the thinly-veiled barbs that often accompanied her well-meaning actions. While I focused on playing host to the adult guests and distributing chocolate treats to the children, Martin dressed Bernadette in the gifted attire. The result was both comical and adorable. Bernadette resembled a cross frog in a frilly frock. Auntie Lottie embraced the moment, reveling in Bernadette's innocence. She requested Franny to capture the memory through a series of photographs. The inevitable chatter ensued, with Franny boasting about her Wonder Kid's remarkable milestones, feats that seemed almost superhuman. Amid the conversations, Bernadette's irritability became apparent, and Martin attempted to retrieve her from Franny's hold, suspecting a tummy ache. However, Franny, ever eager to assert her expertise, insisted she could calm Bernadette down. My frustration grew palpable as Martin and I increasingly asserted our need to reclaim our fussy daughter, yet Franny persisted in her misguided belief that she alone held the key to calming Bernadette. To our surprise, Bernadette did eventually relax and offer a toothy grin to Franny, who beamed in response. This momentary victory was short-lived, as seconds later, Franny handed back a wailing Bernadette and raced to the bathroom, 
The truth behind Bernadette's distress had been concealed from Franny. The introduction of cereals into her diet had not gone as smoothly as planned. A punami, as it came to be known, had erupted, sparing no article of clothing in its path. Martin executed a hasty clean-up and outfit change, replacing the soiled garments with a teething dragon that succeeded in restoring Bernadette's contentment. Yet, the green dress and bloomers lay in ruins. Casualties of Franny's insistence on handling the situation herself. As I contemplated the unfortunate turn of events, a sense of justice surged within me. The chaos of the Poonami had triggered a surge of vindication. A realization that petty revenge was within my grasp. The perfect opportunity for my revenge materialized during the Easter dinner. The family gathered around the table, laughter and conversation mingling with the aroma of pureed veggie soup. My middle sister, perhaps aware of my simmering resentment, extended an invitation to Franny to feed Bernadette. Seeing as you're good with babies, she added with a hint of irony. Predictably, Franny reacted with indignation fervently declining the offer. In a moment of calculated amusement, I feigned disappointment and declared that Bernadette's feelings had been hurt by Franny's refusal. I recited the very phrases she had employed countless times to dismiss her own hurtful actions. But she didn't mean to. The expression of disbelief on Franny's face was my long-awaited triumph, a tiny victory that carried the weight of years of pent-up frustration. The satisfaction I derived from those few words was immeasurable, like the culmination of a symphony that had been building since my mother's funeral, since the countless insults and actions that had eroded my patience. It was a trifling victory, a mere skirmish in the grand scheme of our tangled history, but it brought me a degree of closure that I had long sought. As the evening unfolded, with desserts served and stories shared, I couldn't help but reflect on the absurdity of our interactions. The layers of our love-hate relationship were peeled back, revealing the intricate dance of emotions that had defined our interactions. In the end, the pettiness of my revenge was eclipsed by the complexity of our shared history. So there you have it, the culmination of two decades of frustration and resentment, encapsulated in a punami and a few well-chosen words. As I glazed around the table at the faces of my family members, I realized that beneath the surface of every smile and laugh lay a tapestry of emotions woven through time. Our love and our conflicts were inextricably entwined, creating a narrative that was uniquely ours. As the night drew to a close and the last of the dishes were cleared away, I felt a sense of contentment settle over me. The score had been settled, the balance restored, not through grand gestures or dramatic confrontations but through the simple satisfaction of seeing Franny confronted with her own words. And as I held Bernadette in my arms, watching her drift off to sleep, I couldn't help but feel a glimmer of hope for the future. A hope that our family's intricate tapestry of emotions could one day be woven into something more beautiful than the sum of its parts. In the end, our petty revenge was just a single thread in the grand tapestry of our lives. A thread that added color and complexity to the narrative. And as I looked ahead, I couldn't help but wonder what other twists and turns lay in store for our love-hate story, a story that was far from over. As the years went by, the memory of that Easter gathering lingered in the back of my mind. The satisfaction of my petty revenge had provided a momentary relief, but it had done little to truly mend the complicated relationship between Franny and me. Life continued to move forward, and our paths only crossed on rare occasions. 
each encounter a reminder of the underlying tension that persisted. Bernadette, now a vibrant and curious toddler, became a source of constant joy and distraction. Watching her explore the world with unbridled enthusiasm was a balm for my soul, a reminder that life was more than just the baggage of old grudges. Still, the desire for a deeper resolution tugged at me, urging me to confront the complexities of our family dynamic head-on. One fateful summer, another family reunion was on the horizon. This time, the setting was a rustic cabin nestled in the heart of a lush forest, a place where childhood memories and shared experiences beckoned. As the event drew closer, I found myself grappling with conflicting emotions. The prospect of reuniting with family members I hadn't seen in years was both exciting and daunting. It was an opportunity to reconnect and perhaps find closure, but also a potential minefield of unresolved conflicts. The first day at the cabin was a mix of laughter, hugs, and a palpable sense of nostalgia. The scent of pine mingled with the sounds of cheerful chatter, and for a moment, it felt as though time had stood still. Yet beneath the veneer of warmth, I sensed an unspoked tension, a reminder that old wounds were never truly forgotten. Franny arrived with her family, her demeanor unchanged from years past, the picture of effortless grace and poise. As we exchanged pleasantries and caught up on each other's lives, I couldn't help but feel a pang of envy at her seemingly perfect existence. It was a feeling I'd grown accustomed to over the years, a mix of admiration and resentment that colored our interactions. As the days went by, the cabin became a microcosm of our family's intricate dynamics. Shared meals and outdoor activities were punctuated by moments of awkward silence and loaded glances. I watched from the sidelines as Franny effortlessly navigated the social landscape, her charisma drawing others toward her like moths to a flame. It was a skill I'd always envied, a talent for making herself indispensable even in the most challenging situations. One evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon and the sky painted itself in hues of orange and pink, I found myself alone on the cabin's porch. The gentle rustling of leaves and the distant calls of forest creatures created a serene backdrop for my thoughts. It was then that Franny appeared, her steps hesitant as she approached me. Mind if I join you? she asked softly. I gestured for her to take a seat, and for a while, we simply sat in companionable silence, staring out at the tranquil landscape. It was Franny who broke the silence, her voice tinged with a vulnerability I hadn't expected. You know, she began, I've always felt there's something between us, something that we've never quite addressed. Her words struck a chord within me, resonating with the very sentiment I'd been grappling with. I turned to her, my gaze meeting hers, and nodded in agreement. You're right, I admitted, surprised by the honesty in my own voice. There's a history between us, a mix of love and resentment that we've carried for far too long. Franny sighed, her shoulders slumping slightly. I'm sorry, you know, for all the times I've hurt you, intentionally or not. I studied her face, seeing a flicker of genuine remorse in her eyes. It was a side of her I hadn't often witnessed, a vulnerability that humanized her in a way I hadn't expected. In that moment, I realized that our rivalry had been fueled by a mutual desire for validation, for recognition from each other and from those around us. Perhaps it's time to let go of the past, I suggested, surprising even myself with the words. We've both held on to these grudges for far too long. Maybe it's time to start anew. Franny nodded slowly, her gaze fixed on the horizon. You're right. It's exhausting, carrying all this baggage. As the sun dipped lower, casting long shadows across the landscape, 
I felt a sense of catharsis, a weight lifting from my shoulders. The conversation with Franny was just the beginning, a step toward healing the wounds that had festered for years. Our shared history was complex, filled with moments of rivalry and affection, hurt and genuine care. It was a tapestry woven from the threads of our emotions, a tapestry that was far from finished. In the days that followed, Franny and I made a concerted effort to bridge the gap between us. We engaged in heartfelt conversations, sharing stories of our childhood and the experiences that had shaped us into the adults we had become. It was a process of rediscovery, of unraveling the layers of misunderstanding that had colored our perceptions of each other. As the reunion came to a close, I found myself reflecting on the journey we had embarked upon. The petty revenge that had once consumed my thoughts seemed insignificant in the face of the larger narrative that had unfolded. The complexity of our emotions, the blend of love and resentment, had given our relationship a depth I'd never fully appreciated. As I bid farewell to Franny and the other family members, I couldn't help but feel a sense of hope for the future. The wounds of the past were healing, slowly but surely, replaced by a renewed sense of connection and understanding. Our shared history, with all its ups and downs, had laid the foundation for a bond that was stronger than the sum of its parts. And so... As I watched the cabin retreat in the rearview mirror, I carried with me not just the memories of a family reunion, but the knowledge that even the most tangled relationships could find their way to a place of reconciliation. The journey toward forgiveness and understanding was ongoing, a path illuminated by the realization that beneath the surface of our grievances lay a shared history worth preserving. In the end, it's nice that they were able to come around and realize they had a sibling-like bond. That although all this time while you grew up, you were always gunning for each other's heads and trying to knock each other off of their respective pedestals or whatnot, that there was still this underlying love to it. And certainly it makes it a lot easier when the person that you perceive as being the antagonist is willingly and forthcomingly being honest and apologizing. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.